just after we moved into our house in Gimont, we found a tiny, brown, dried-up little fir tree in the back garden. It was in completely the wrong place, and it looked completely dead. But for some reason, instead of just chucking it into the bin, as I normally kind of do, I dug a hole for it in our front garden and replanted it just at our gate. I didn't really expect much from it and certainly didn't do anything or spend any time or effort caring for it. If you know me, you know me with my gardening. It's just not me. Uh, So it just sat there. But it didn't shrivel up and it didn't die. In fact, it took root and it started to grow. And it kept on growing and growing. Now Lorna keeps on reminding me that it needs to be moved again or cut down because it's just too big for the place. I actually went out and measured it this week just just because I was interested. It's over 15 foot tall now uh, and it's kind of in the wrong place and it gets in the way and we can hardly get the car in the drive now because of it. Now I've been hesitating cutting it down not just because I don't like the hassle and I don't like gardening but also because I kind of like the fact that this little tree that used to be so tiny and so brown and so dead looking is now so huge. There's something nice about seeing something come back to life and grow and become huge. The nation of Judah was a bit like that little tree. Under the leadership of King Ahaz, they'd completely turned their back on God and they'd been drawn into the idolatry of the nations around them. And as a result, they'd become weak subservient to the king of Assyria, hanging on to life by a thread. But God wasn't finished with them yet. Out of this dried up and dead looking nation, the Messiah was going to come. And he was going to change everything. So we're going to have a look at Isaiah chapter 11 eh, this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up, Isaiah chapter 11. But instead of reading it, I'm just going to show you a little video clip. So have a look at this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. The breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. 
the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. It's a wonderful passage of God's word. Isaiah 11 verse 1 to 9 that was. And it tells us about what God is going to do. But in order to understand this passage, we need to understand a little bit of the background. Because over 250 years before Isaiah, God had chosen David, the youngest of the sons of a man called Jesse, from an insignificant little village called Bethlehem, to be the king of his people. But this privilege and this responsibility wasn't just given to David. It was also given to David's descendants. This was the promise that was given to him in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And God had kept his promise. Remember, the, 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 this was the time of the divided kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the northern kingdom of Israel, they had experienced lots of political takeovers. So they had kings from different, uh, from different families uh, and so from different dynasties. Again and again the kings had come and new people had come in and taken over and, and destroyed the last of the dynasty of the, the previous king and set up a new dynasty. But that hadn't happened in the southern kingdom. They were still being ruled by the sons of David, as God had promised. But the glory days of David's reign were long gone. Judah was not the nation that it had been. And King Ahaz, he certainly was not the man after God's own heart that David had been. But God had not forgotten his promises. And so Isaiah 11 verse 1 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The kingdom of Judah looked like a stump in the ground. A sad reminder of the glory and vitality of the past. But out of that stump, a new life was going to come. A new shoot would grow. A new branch would bear fruit that would bring life and blessing to others. This is another of the promises of the Messiah. The King who will come and reign forever, bringing blessing and peace. This is the promise of Jesus, the Son of David. Matthew begins his gospel by declaring a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But he's not just the shoot from Jesse. If you look down to verse 10, you'll see that he's also the root of Jesse. This means he's the source 
of that messianic family into which he was born. He didn't just come from the family line of Jesse. In some way, the family line of Jesse came from him. That only makes sense when we understand both the humanity but also the deity of Jesus. It's only possible when we recognize that Jesus is not just a human being, but he is also fully God. Paul says about him in Romans chapter 1, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, a shoot from Jesse, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God, the root of Jesse. Christ is the son of Jesse, the fulfillment of God's promises to David. But he is also the son of God, the one who made those promises and the one who kept them. So in this passage, even although the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel had disobeyed and wandered from God and rebelled against him, God had kept his promise to David and was going to keep his promise to David in a way that was greater than anybody could have imagined. In a way that was greater than I think Isaiah understood and certainly David understood when he received those promises. It's another reminder that the Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving to all that he has made. It doesn't mean that our failures in in our life don't matter. Because whenever we step away from God's will or God's plan for our life, there are serious consequences for us and for others. But it does mean that even in the mess of our disobedience, God still keeps his promises. There's a wonderful reminder of that in in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says this, If we are faithless, he, that's God, will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Even when we stumble and fall, even when we make a mess of things, even when we go the wrong way, God doesn't change. His promises of faithfulness, of commitment, of being part of our life, of his presence, of his protection, of his power, they still remain true. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. God is faithful to his promises because he cannot disown himself. And he is a faithful God. But this prophecy isn't only about the identity of the Messiah as the the descendant of David, the descendant of Jesse. It also describes amazingly the kind of ruler that he is. These days we're used to hearing about corruption in leadership, aren't we? Even in sporting organisations. A while back, a couple of weeks ago, it was soccer that was making the headlines with the corruption in the leadership of FIFA. This week, It was athletics that made the news. As the World Anti-Doping Association called WADA, that I'd never heard of before, uh, released a report accusing Russian athletics of a state-sponsored doping program. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right, it must have made an emergency that Tommy is getting called to. (laughs) 
uh, and the, the former president, this guy here down in the bottom right corner, uh, who was the former president of the International Association of Athletics Federations, he's been accused of accepting a million euro bribe for covering up that doping within Russian athletics. And it's such a serious situation that Russian athletics have now been, uh, have they been uh, suspended from all competitions. And there's even a threat that they'll lose out on the, on the Olympics next year at Rio. And they're not the only country that are in trouble. There's accusations of, of, of doping in lots and lots of different other athletics associations and other aspects of sport. It seems today that dishonesty and corruption and greed have infiltrated all levels of our society. Even something that's supposed to be held up as, as, an, as a reminder of, of sportsmanship and, and, and honesty and togetherness and the best of humanity. But the Messiah was going to be different. Because righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness will be the sash around his waist. This is his clothing. Because everything that he does is done with integrity. With honesty. With goodness. With loyalty. With fairness. Everything he does. When he makes a judgment... It will be correct and accurate because he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Other people, they make superficial judgments. Sometimes we do as well, don't we? We jump to conclusions, say that person is guilty, that person is this, that person is that, and then we find out later that we're wrong because we're just basing it on what we could see. But the Messiah won't do that. He will judge people's hearts. He will get to right to the heart of the matter and judge people accurately. Neither will he be biased towards the rich or the powerful or the influential. Instead, with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will give his full attention to those who are in need. And he will judge according to what is impartial and fair. And so the guilty will be punished. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. He will condemn the wicked and protect and defend the innocent and the oppressed. He will be a just judge. Totally. That means if we accept Jesus, the Messiah, as our King, then these should be our priorities too. These are the things that should characterize our lives, in our church life, in our work life, in our family life, in our personal life. We should be people of integrity, honesty, fairness. Isaiah 1 and 17 tells us this, to learn to do what is right, to seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Why should they be our priorities? Because they are the priorities of our God, our King, our Lord. But I think this truth also helps us when we are on the receiving end of injustice, when we are oppressed in this world, when we are wrongly accused, when we are treated badly in this world, as I know we all experience sometimes. 
This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. If our coming king will judge this world with accuracy, with fairness, and with authority, then we don't need to panic when we're wrongly accused or when we're ill-treated. We don't need to despair. We certainly don't need to run after revenge, get our own back. Because we can leave judgment in our king's hands to deal with it perfectly in his time. That's why we should be people who, who don't judge, jump to, to take revenge or don't panic when the world seems to go to pot. Because we know that God is in control and one day he will judge the wicked and he will defend the oppressed. But how will the Messiah rule with such righteousness? Well, Isaiah interestingly says it is because, verse 2, he's empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit in his life. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. And so the Messiah is able to make wise decisions. Because he understands the heart of the issue. He is also the spirit of counsel and of power. So he's able to devise the right course of action and has the personal power to see it through. And he's also the, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so he knows what is tr- truly uh, correct and true and shows it through a right relationship with God. In fact, his ultimate desire and his joy is to delight in the fear of the Lord. He's committed to doing what the Lord wants him to do. That's what he rejoices in. And we see this fulfilled in the life of Jesus, don't we? When he was baptised in the river Jordan, he came up out of the water and Matthew records, at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Then it goes on to say in verse 17, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He is the one who has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And at the start of his ministry, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and equipped him and empowered him for the challenge of his work. And so the work he did, he did in the power and the guidance and through the the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is a great encouragement for us. Because Jesus promised in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Living for Christ as part of his kingdom can at times feel like an impossible task. You ever felt like that? I can't do this anymore. I can't hold to God's truth. I can't live his way. I can't serve him in the way he's calling me to. But through our faith in Jesus, we have received the Holy Spirit. 
And if we are willing to allow him to fill us daily and to lead us in every aspect of our lives, then he will equip us and empower us to follow Jesus daily. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us if we just allow him to work in our lives. So this is the Messiah. He's both the root and the shoot of Jesse who will rule in righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what difference will he bring? What will be the impact of his rule in this world? Well, as we saw last week, Isaiah doesn't, doesn't see all of the stages of the coming of the Messiah. He doesn't give us a chronology of his first or his second coming. He doesn't see all these parts or in the details in his prophecies. And even today, there are differences among Christians about how to interpret these kind of passages about the where and the when of the establishment of Christ's kingdom. But what we can be sure of is that when Jesus comes to reign, he's going to change everything. In verse 6 down to verse 9, we see quite spectacular changes occurring in this world. They can be difficult for us to imagine. But what seems to be happening here is kind of like a a restoration of Eden. The Messiah is starting to bring creation back to the conditions that they were in before sin entered the world. So we see changed relationships. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. Predator and prey will be reconciled. Old hostilities will be forgotten. Peace and harmony will reign in this world. Even a, a little child will lead them. As mankind again takes up the role that God gave to lead and to rule and to care for God's world. Then there will also be changed natures. The cow will feed with the bear. The lion will eat straw with the ox. No longer will this world be characterised by, by death and by violence. Carnivores become herbivores. For those of us who like our meat, maybe that's bad news for us. But every animal we're going to eat the food that God originally provided for us. Back in Genesis it says, to all the beasts of the earth I give every green plant for food. There was no burgers in the Garden of Eden. No steaks. And it still was paradise. And this means that this world will no longer be a place of danger and threat. Because the infant will play near the hole of the cobra. Maybe this points to the the removal of the curse in Genesis chapter 3 and 15 between the snake and the woman when, when God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, for most of us, we struggle to imagine this. For those of us of a, of a more kind of scientific or sceptical nature, maybe we even struggle to see how this is possible. But I think this prophecy is really an important truth, especially these days. Because many people have accepted a completely naturalistic explanation of how this world came to be. They believe that the world around us today is the result of purely natural laws. Physical processes, chemical reactions, natural selection, chance and billions of years. 
But if that was true, then since life started on this planet, it has always been a place of death and decay. Right from the start. This is just the way things are and the way things will always be. But the Bible says that that's not true. The Bible says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That this world is the product of God's creativity, God's wisdom, God's goodness and God's power. He designed it. He spoke it into being. And when he made it, it was perfect. Because God saw all that he had made and it was very good. This was a beautiful world to reveal the majesty and the glory of God, its creator. Now even although we see signs of that in our world today, we know that the world is not like that anymore, don't we? The world is not a perfect place. It has been contaminated and it's been corrupted by sin. Because sin entered the world through one man. And death through sin. So when sin invaded this world through Adam, through his rebellion, it brought with it all of the struggle, all of the suffering, all of the, all of the, uh, the sickness and the brutality and the violence that we see today. But when the Messiah comes, he's going to reestablish God's rule on this earth. And he will start to restore creation to its original design. Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So today this place is a place of suffering and death. But it's not the way it was meant to be. And it's not the way that it will be in the future. When Jesus comes to reign, And when the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord. No wonder the Bible ends with a heartfelt cry. Come Lord Jesus. We don't know when that day will come. Nobody knows apart from God. But we long for it with all our hearts. When the things like we're looking at in the news this week. Will no longer be happening in this world. And this world will be a place of peace and harmony. But the purpose of this coming, the coming of Messiah, is not just to restore creation. It's actually to return his people. This is God's purpose. This is God's focus. It always has been. If you look down at verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 11, it says this. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people's. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. Now you remember back in Moses' time, God brought his people up from Egypt in the very first exodus. But when the Messiah comes, he will gather the remnant of his people in an even more spectacular way. Gather people that belong to him from all over the world. From Assyria, Elam, Babylonia, that was in the east. Egypt and Cush, that was in the south. Hamath was to the north. 
islands of the sea were out to the west. So from the four corners of the world, the Messiah will draw his people. But he's even a banner that draws people from the Gentile nations. Because the nations will rally to him, it says in verse 10. And we'll see that develop further in the book of Isaiah. And in the rest of this chapter, if we had time to look at it, we would see how Isaiah went on to describe how Israel and Judah would be reconciled together. That they will be victorious over their enemies. And that even the natural barriers of, of sea and river will be, will be overcome to allow his people to be brought back to himself. <clears throat> this is the mission of the Messiah. To bring people back to God. This is his ultimate goal. This is why he came. Christ died for our sins. Once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. Jesus came to rescue people who were separate from God because of their sin. To bring them into relationship with himself. He came to reconcile us. So that we could be with him forever. This is why Jesus went to the cross. This is why the Messiah was sent. And so all that we need to do today is respond to the banner of the cross and come to him in repentance and faith. And if we do, then he will bring us to that place of rest, to his glorious Father's house. So this is the difference that the Messiah will make. He will take charge of this nation. Rule it with righteousness and faithfulness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Restore it with peace and harmony and return it back to God. No wonder Isaiah responds in our next chapter, chapter 12, with a song that God's people will sing that day. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And this is the difference that Christ wants to make in our lives today. If we will just come under the banner of his love. If we will allow him to rule in our lives. And through the Spirit to restore us. And rescue us back to God. Then we will be able to sing in the song of the redeemed. We will be able to rejoice that the Lord has become our salvation.